Hello and welcome on The Barricades. My name is Bojan Stanislavski and I will be your host today. Dr. Maria Cherna, the usual co-host of the show, wasn't able to make it. Nonetheless, I have two great guests for you. Frequent guests on our show, Bojan Trajkov and Artar Tinyan. Welcome to the show, guys. Welcome again and thanks for coming on again. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, so let's do, uh, let's talk about Bulgaria and let's talk about the American imperialist rampage in Bulgaria and how it's unfolding, how it keeps unfolding despite protests, uh, quite massive protests, by the way, but we're going to mention that at the end of the program so that we leave at least one optimistic element, uh, you know, uh, for once to end the program on a kind of optimistic note. Bajin, I want to uh, go to you first. Let's talk about the government and the current Bulgarian government, uh, a government which is quite unique in a sense that it doesn't represent really, it doesn't represent anyone with the exception of a few people, uh, literally a handful of, of like oligarchs or, or clique, which is linked to uh, the American state. By the way, uh, I, I saw a program where one Bulgarian politician listed out, made a list of 14 out of 20 ministers in the current cabinet, uh, in the current government of Bulgaria, who are linked directly to the American state, which is really quite exceptional. I mean, this kind of uh, th this kind of level of, of uh, subjugation. I mean, I've never. I, I mean, I can't. I, I can't quite think of any any other precedent like that in uh, modern Bulgarian history. But anyway, uh, we 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 told you on this program that things are going to go really really bad once this government is allowed to be formed, and things are going just as we predicted. Uh, Nothing to be proud of, I guess. But anyway, let's let's keep our audience informed. Bujin, to you now. Okay, so first of all, let's start with uh, let's focus on uh, the Ministry of uh, Defense or so-called Ministry of Defense because it starts to more and more resemble Ministry of War. It's a pro-war kind of ministry in the uh, the. Kind of the 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 poorest uh, European Union country. So uh, what what was announced there? And first of all, uh, just uh, to kind of mention to uh, to kind of add to what you were saying about the fourteen uh, that the people linked to the American state. Well, in uh, in this case, uh, Mr. Tagarev, who is the Minister of uh, Defense, is directly linked to the Ukrainian state because he has been serving as an expert, some in some capacity expert in the Ministry of Defense in uh, Ukraine for three years. That's the official information that we have. We don't know if this is still continuing and. Uh, what is in what uh, what is his relationship with the Ukrainian government right now? Uh, all we know is that he is a very kind of uh, hawkish pro-Ukrainian. Uh, uh, his uh, stance on uh, the conflict uh, in uh, uh, Ukraine uh, between Russia and Ukraine uh, is that we should do everything to support uh, Ukraine. Uh, Currently, uh, it was announced that uh, the signals that are coming from the Ministry of Defense are not surprising at all. We were discussing the fact that this is a very, this is uh, kind of one of a, a very clear example of a government that is really serving U.S. imperial interests 100%. I would call it pro-American on steroids because uh, what is happening right now is despite public opinion, despite the uh, will of the majority of the people here, uh, the uh, uh, Minister of Defense announced this uh, directly kind of uh, line of support 
uh, right now with weaponry. Well, that's kind of one of the main decisions that was made is that Bulgaria will be part of this uh, European uh, Union direction to uh, provide uh, 1 million missiles for uh, Ukraine and that Bulgaria will be included in this, uh, in this kind of, uh, uh, I guess, coalition of the willing or whatnot um, that is going to participate in this. Uh, what also was announced that Bulgaria will actually now going to provide two percent of its GDP for NATO, for the uh, for military for purposes of uh, military expenditure uh, to kind of like uh, you know follow the 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 the, the requirement uh, the NATO requirement, which is absolutely incredible because. Uh, so far, the country is experiencing social catastrophic results of kind of not uh, of relegating money from the budget of education and healthcare to military expenditure. And this is now going to be even further. And there have been a lot of statistics about what is the result of this kind of uh, militarization of Bulgaria, the poorest U European Union mem member. I want to emphasize that. And so this is uh, what is uh, going on uh, right now. Uh, in the meantime, the uh, president of Bulgaria, um, uh, Mr. Radev, General Radev, uh, said that this is not a good idea, that he, he is opposing this decision, Bulgaria being part of this initiative to provide missiles for Ukraine. We don't actually have these missiles, but the Bulgarian Ministry of Defense announced its uh, kind of desire to sort of develop certain uh, certain kind of infrastructure to provide these missiles, which you can imagine the the, the, the budget expenditure on the military and what this is going to cost the Bulgarians in, in general, with a lack of any kind of social safety net, and with one of them, the, the again, one of the countries with the least amount of uh, of, of, of uh, sort of a social uh, uh, programs in the new liberal European Union. So you can yeah. imagine. Yeah, this, this, this is, is just going to deepen the, the, what you're talking about. Uh, and I guess like what you're trying to say is that this is only going to deepen the civilizational downgrade. Uh, that we've been in for the last, you know, over 20 years. Uh, and uh, I, you know, Arta, I want to go to you now, because this is this is really, really ludicrous on its face. Bulgaria is going to participate in the mission, in the great European mission of collecting one million pieces of munition for Ukraine. Now, first of all, I want to say that I, I thought this initiative was already over. I thought they... I thought they gave up, like, because, you know, they were traveling here and there. I, I'm sure you remember that it was like a month or two months ago, maybe a little longer than that, when they were traveling and announcing announcing it and publicizing it, that now we're traveling, you know, from country to country, from one uh, Ministry of Defense to other Ministry of Defense to collect one million munitions. And they failed. They were not able to collect it. But now Bulgaria, you see, Bulgaria, of all places, Bulgaria, well, maybe Moldova and Fiji should join, you know, and then we'll see, you know, how far we can get with collecting one million munitions. So uh, that's number one. I want to want you to comment on that like in terms of where is where does the the european leadership stand where do they stand mentally because i don't think politically there's anything to comment here but then there's uh, there's also the, the question of again we warned we warned everyone that this government is only going to be formed in order to put bulgaria into the meat grinder of history which is called the front of the ukrainian war and once this happens if it really escalates to the point where bulgaria becomes an active part supporting an active entity active part supporting ukraine that can really that really threatens the very existence of the bulgarian statehood your take arto 
Yeah, um, <clears throat> Boyan, I mean, the first, I think, on the mental state of the European Union politicians, I think they're somewhere in 1939 or 1941. Oh. Except that thankfully for us and everybody else, they don't have the political and personal qualities of the leaders of the Third Reich to be even more successful. And they don't That's have the munition. <laughs> and they don't have the munitions of the Third Reich. But if you remember, um, first of all, there are very big questions about the historiography of the European Union and its rootedness in Nazi post-World War legal scholarship and business management school scholarships. That's aside. The second point is the last time major European politicians used the phrase United Europe to discuss a war that is being waged in Europe was um, in Hitler's administration. Because to the rest of the world, the Nazi, the German Nazi dominated um, invasion of the Soviet Union, for example, but also the occupation of Europe was portrayed as united Europe against the barbarian Russians who were then communists, Bolsheviks, etc. So I think this is in some subliminal, maybe subconscious level, this is an attempt by some of the leading elites in, in Europe, the European Union, perhaps Western Europe and elsewhere to gain revenge for their shameful and total defeat in World War II at the hands of the Soviet Union and its allies. So I think that's what's going on in the mental heads of the, the policymakers in the European Union. They're trying to basically um, dismantle the Russian Federation uh, as a way of uh, essentially rolling back their, their previously unsuccessful attempt for all the reasons that we have discussed. Many times. Many times. Now, the second thing about munitions it's comical that you're waging a major war using another state, Ukraine, which is super shameful to begin with, no. uh, without having necessary weapons to do it. So you have this ridiculous situation where artillery shells are being imported into Ukraine from South Korea, from Japan. Outside NATO. Outside NATO. Notice outside this. Of NATO. They've ran out uh, of munitions, so they now have to reach Israel. They have to go to South Korea, to Japan. Yeah. Like this. Ridiculous. And so in, in the first, first, it shows deep unprofessionalism, which is very troubling because you're talking about states that have nuclear weapons. Yes. And if the people on top are so unprofessional and pathetic, uh, that's very dangerous because that means they may not fully understand the implications of a possible nuclear war which is very yeah. bad. And that's what uh, I think worries me the most. But I think as far as Bulgaria is concerned, Bulgaria has a huge munitions factory left over by the socialist government. The socialist government yeah. of Bulgaria with the direct aid of the Soviet Union built a huge munitions plants in Karlovo and Sopot, which provided munitions for the Bulgarian army. That's now, right. since 1991, they haven't really worked at full capacity. Well, they actually they, seems to have worked. They, they seem to have worked at one point during the Syrian civil war, and that was delivered. Right. Yeah, that was that was news delivered by the Bulgarian journalist Deliana Gaitanjeva, who said, you know, who explained how how you know our factories were working three shifts basically in order to supply munitions for you know the hot cho head chopping. You know, the, the yeah. kind of you're right, Boyanin. So I think if need be, Bulgarian munitions state their state-owned most the biggest ones state-owned munitions factories can be working in three shifts, you know, 24 hours to produce. And here's the important point. Bulgarian munitions factories produce Soviet uh, type munitions, yep. uh, so which may or may not be helpful in the Ukraine because most of their Soviet era equipment has been destroyed already. So they're shifting to NATO equipment. True. So I don't know how much weapons the Bulgarian factories can produce for the NATO calibers, you know, in artillery, but certainly they can produce ammunitions for rifles, like small weapons, etc. So I think that's definitely what they're counting on to use the Bulgarian. But the problem is every state has to first produce enough munitions 
for the defense of its own sovereign territory. So, oh, you know that, that's I mean? history now. I'm afraid that this, this, this <laughs> is like there's a paradigm shift now. Now we have to produce only for Ukraine. And, and this is what Bulgarian Ukraine. generals like Shivikov, uh, who's the only general in the Bulgarian army who has combat experience after uh, 1989, uh, has repeatedly said that if, if you strip Bulgaria's um, supplies of, of weaponry, you're leaving the Bulgarian army and this the Bulgarian state defenseless. That's a crime. Yeah. That's, and that's we're a talking crime against... Of yeah, course, sorry but... to interrupt you, but we're talking the same general actually mentioned twice. If we move even an inch, like in terms of like if we if we even give like 100 pieces of munition for regular pistols that our army uses anywhere away, we will be defenseless in two uh, at two major spots. One is Kuzlodoy, which is the nuclear power plant. And second is Sofia, which is the only viable urban center really in Bulgaria, economically speaking, at least. Yeah, today. So we're really on the verge. That's why I, I mentioned that the question of statehood is really at stake here. But I think if you take a model of the United Europe of 1941, then it makes sense. Because mm. in the United Europe of 1941, that's unified against barbarians from the East, um, makes sense to, to apply to today. The language is different. The flags are different, at least outside of Ukraine, because in Ukraine, there are a lot of flags with the Nazi symbol. Um, but in 1941, a lot of states supplied the, the German Nazi-led war effort, you know, yeah. at the expense of their own sovereignty. So I, I see very troubling parallels between, uh, between these two periods. Of course, today they're executed much more unprofessionally, thankfully, thankfully. Uh, you didn't see the German uh, <laughs> war ministry send newspaper announcements. We need more, you know, shells for our army. Give us more yeah. shells, you know, Philippines or, you know, yeah, Argentina. Yeah, exactly. You know. And they had, they had, you know, you know, their minister of uh, foreign affairs was still better back then than what we have now with Annalena Baerbock. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I don't even want to go there. Like, you know, I mean, this is, this has got to be the worst foreign minister in, in the history well, Boyan, of Germany you know, ever. Well, you know, Boyan, that... Uh, yeah, finish Chinese, your thought and I want to go to Bojin. Yeah, yeah, please go ahead. The Chinese uh, Premier Xi, you know, in one of his meetings with Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada said exactly that because Trudeau had leaked the private contents, diplomatic contents of their conversation to the press. So Xi said in English, he said, look, if you really want to be taken seriously by me and by my, our government, you really need to learn how to behave like a prime minister, mm. you know, <laughs> indicating that the level of unprofessionalism and stupidity was so high that they couldn't even talk to these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Okay, Bujin, let's uh, let's let's go back to you and let's talk about the next, uh, you know, the next kind of important occurrence that we want to discuss uh, here. Uh, and uh, well, go ahead and explain what it's all about. It has to do with journalism. Let me just float that. Yeah. Okay. First of all, uh, the media climate in Bulgaria right now, and uh, I mean mainstream media and national media, the Bulgarian national television and the Bulgarian national radio, uh, is extremely one-sided, as it can be imagined. Uh, it's very one-dimensional. It's uh, always uh, provide. It's only providing the so-called uh, uh, right point of view. The uh, official point of view, the pro-war, pro-Ukrainian, uh, pro-war pro point of view, and uh, uh, the ideological climate uh, is also in a similar. I mean, in terms of uh, the political talk, all uh, the political establishment, all of the major uh, cultural institutions, all of the major educational institutions are only provided one-sided point of view also and, about and Bulgarian let, let history. Me, yeah, let, let me interrupt you here because I think it's very important for our viewers to consume that, that this is 
contrary to the sentiments and to the recognition of the situation by the Bulgarian public. I mean, the Bulgarian public is, uh, well, keeping fingers crossed for Russia. Let's just put it that way, okay, so that we don't have to dig into the whole thing. But within this conflict, there is very, very little, absolutely, as I said in the beginning of the program, a handful of people supports Ukraine in Bulgaria, all right? And yet the entire establishment, the media syndicate, the politicians, uh, the cultural institutions, is that everybody in the high society is actually in opposition to the whole of the Bulgarian uh, public, to the whole of the Bulgarian society, basically. So this is the state of democracy that we've had, that we have, that we experienced 30 years into the transition. Go ahead. Well, I think, uh, Boyan, this is in accordance with the United States recognition that its uh, he uh, attempt for ideological hegemony here is failing. Uh, that is why we had uh, the uh, the so-called uh, expert on disinformation visiting here from the United States, who was supposed to provide the uh, proper information that is not Russian propaganda and so on. Uh, so basically what is happening right now in this context is uh, there is only one current voice of, uh, let's say, uh, providing an alternative point of view, or let's just call it voice of resistance to all these uh, establishment uh, narratives. Uh, and uh, this is the journalist uh, uh, Peter Volgin from the Bulgarian National Radio. And he only has a chance to do that uh, once in a week for about an uh, hour and a half, because there's also musical so mu uh, musical parts in his program. So for about for an hour and a half, he has he had this chance. The Bulgarian public was provided, the Bulgarian public that majority is actually not agreeing with the official discourse, was provided this opportunity to have one person providing the alternative point of view on Bulgarian national radio, which is paid with, of course, the which is uh, uh, funded by taxpayers' money. So it's supposed to be national radio, of course. And now what we're seeing is uh, as soon as the current government got in power, various attempts from so-called civil society groups or politicians to uh, actually... Uh, uh, it, there is an attack on uh, Volgin, and uh, there has been a constant attack to remove him from uh, Bulgarian national radio. Uh, for quite some time, but this, these attacks have uh, uh, kind of uh, increased in its uh, sort of uh, uh, current, in the current climate. And uh, one, uh, uh, one of the attacks came from a, a political figure, a politician, a deputy who is part of the current ruling government uh, continuing the change. He's, he is uh, actually a uh, uh, a notorious uh, 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 kind of uh, uh, figure that has uh, been kind of a clownish figure, actually, uh, who is behaving like really uh, in, uh, in unprofessionally uh, in the Bulgarian parliament, very arrogant person. Uh, and uh, he is also known to have to be to, to uh, his mother actually has a publishing house, which is kind of these alternative publishing houses of but for the most part related to the uh, to the um, tastes of the small scale small small, uh, small uh, percentage of Bulgarian society, so-called you know uh, bourgeois sort of like uh, uh, 
you know the yellow the, the, the yellow stone people or whatever they yeah well what 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 Bajin means just to clarify is the that the, there's a handful of people who are mostly you know western educated people who have uh, very little connection really with bulgaria and and with the bulgarian culture with the bulgarian kind of you know way of life with the bulgarian with the bulgarian ness so to say uh, like however general you'd like to uh sort of whatever kind of general meaning you'd like to put into this uh, term. So they th those people, they, they really dream of Bulgaria becoming like the West. They dream that, that Bulgaria should become what they like to refer to a normal state with normal parties, normal thing, you know, normal capitalist, advanced capitalist state, as we see in Western Europe. This is, of course, uh, utopian um, on so many, it's stupid on so many levels. But, uh, you know, I just want to, I, I just want to, point out here uh, or stress on the fact that I personally respect uh, Petra Volgin, the editor, the journalist in question here, a lot. Uh, he's been a voice of dissent for many, many years now. Uh, he's also a highly respected journalist, okay? I mean, he's not just, uh, you know, another guy with an opinion, okay? He's someone who really does have a position in uh, the Bulgarian establishment. Uh, I'm talking about the journalistic Um, uh, environment, okay, journalistic circles. Uh, and uh, to attack him uh, is not just an attack on someone who just has a dissent, on a dissenting voice, but is also an attack on a, on a kind of, uh, you know, the symbol of, as you said, Bajin, yourself, resistance and a symbol of someone who actually represents the Bulgarian public somewhere with his one, you know, voice. Uh, so, uh, Bushin, before I go back to you, I want to hear Arthur's take uh, on this. W what do you think, especially vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, the kind of American experience, right? Because, uh, it, like, when you come to think about people like Tucker Carlson, for example, uh, you know, I've had my disagreements with Petra Volgin in the past. Mm, uh, I, I, you know, I don't agree, obviously, on many points, most of the points uh, with Tucker Carlson. Nonetheless, they seem to have this kind of thing which really irritates and annoys the establishment, right? Which is that they can explain to millions of people, thanks to the platforms mm, uh, that uh, where they work, they are able to explain to millions of people Uh, the the truth about uh, the war in Ukraine and about the international uh, about international politics. Your take, Arto? Well, I mean, Boyan, it's it's clear that as Bujin said, this is an attempt to establish complete control over the media narrative that is heard by most people in the country. And if you have one prominent voice in the most popular radio station, which is Bulgarian, uh, you know, national radio, mm. then If you remove that voice, then it becomes much more difficult for the average person to yeah. get a systematic oppositional view because they have to go to their to Bovogin's Facebook page. They have to, you know, it just becomes more difficult. So I think, but I think it's interesting here. I think when the pro Western fundamentalists, as I call them, were not in power, uh, they thrived on their through their not they repeated the importance of non-governmental organizations because they said the state can always censor us and there's not ideal conditions of freedom of press in Bulgaria. So the non-government organizations are the real bearers of democracy and freedom. Now they are the government. Mm -hmm. And what is the first thing that they do? They <laughs> attempt to censor one of the most famous and publicly known journalists on government radio. And they're doing it as the ones in power. So in their own language of, of kind of Western liberalism, <coughs> this is an example of, in their language, authoritarian suppression of the freedom mm -hmm. of speech. 
There's of no course. other way to think about it. And let, let's just add here one important thing, that the Bulgarian National Radio is one of the very little, very few media that still have, you know, relatively good ratings. I mean, people still trust the Bulgarian National Radio, okay? So this is also an attempt to destroy the last remaining, you know, uh, media outlet that actually makes sense to people to yeah. go there. And I think, Boyan, in this case, if this kind of authoritarian, anti-democratic suppression of freedom of speech continues, uh, the only alternative for uh, a, a truly democratic grassroots press would be distributed, uh, independent uh, platforms yeah. like yeah. Barricada and et cetera. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because yeah. they're not funded by government entities, which can be stopped, or they're not funded by state security agencies like the grants, which can... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They we're not funded like Barricada or the Barricade, like the English language version that you're watching exactly. right now, is also is, is not funded at all by any kind of entities, be it civil society organizations right. or, uh, or worse, the kind of government organization. Okay, guys, we've got like five minutes until the end of the program. So, Bujin, I want to go to you again and let's talk about something optimistic. Let's talk about the March for Freedom and... Uh, sorry, what was it for Peace and... Uh, Prosperity, neutrality. No, uh, neutrality, yes. Peace it's, and uh, neutrality, or sovereignty. Yes. Peace and Pe sovereignty, yes. Exactly. Okay, so those yeah. are, uh, this is an initiative, this is an ongoing initiative. Those are marches which occur uh, on a cyclical basis uh, in Bulgaria, in many uh, cities, towns, urban centers. Uh, and that's something that gets totally unreported in the mainstream media, in the West, like even in Bulgaria, I suppose. Uh, so let's, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about that. Like, let's talk about the last, uh, last instance of this uh, success, okay? And uh, let's talk a little bit about the initiative itself and the history of it. Go ahead. Okay, so basically, as far as far as I'm, uh, I know, uh, the the initiative itself is uh, uh, organized by about twenty different kinds of uh, civil society organizations, but not the type the type of like NGOs and civil society organizations that. We Real know civil as, society, as, as networks of forming public opinion funded by American or European Union money, but the, uh, the uh, kind of the opposite side of the spectrum. I don't. Uh, uh, I, I see uh, many kind of um, very uh, well-renowned figures there, like sports figures, like uh, intellectuals, like professors, and so on. Uh, also, some other people who. Um, I, but for the most part, the initiative is really coming out of sort of like non-political organizations that are not really supported by any political party, including the one that we've talked about before, Vazrajdani, which is supposed to be in opposition to what is going on right now uh, in terms of the establishment. Uh, but the uh, what is really optimistic is that uh, the march this time in Sofia uh, maybe about uh, at least 10,000 people participated. Uh, Which is it. a lot by Bulgarian standards, really a lot yes. by Bulgarian standards, okay? It's I mean, everything beyond 5,000 people in Bulgaria, by, in Bulgaria is like massive. And it is about, the, it is the seventh uh, uh, march that has been organized so far. Uh, unfortunately, here in Varna, which is where I am, uh, it wasn't as, uh, you know, uh, there weren't as many people as uh, the previous uh, marches. I don't know why, maybe because of the rain before that or whatnot, but it was about half of, or maybe many of the people have actually gone to Sofia, which is also what I heard that 
a lot of people decided to uh, focus on uh, Sofia. Uh, but for the most part, uh, it is quite uh, impressive that 45 different uh, that March took place in 45 different states, 38 inside Bulgaria, and the rest outside, including Canada, uh, United Kingdom. Um, so yes, it's uh, it's very interesting that the march is uh, has uh, is is getting momentum. But you're talking about Bulgarians marching in yes, Bulgarians okay. marching in other countries. Yes, mm -hmm. for uh, for the support of uh, uh, peace and neutrality of Bulgaria in this conflict. Yes, and uh, sovereignty of the country as well. I think uh, it, it we need to point out. To the fact that the 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 tactic in in, in terms of the tactics uh, of the organ, organizers in Sofia, as far as I am concerned, in Sofia, it is uh, very good that they are uh, not allowing any kind of politicization, and the march is under the banner of uh, uniting all Bulgarians who are against this uh, involving Bulgaria in this war. Now, I cannot say the same thing here in Varna. They're, unfortunately, the organizers in Varna are not that uh, clever. They don't, apparently, they have no idea about strategizing and tactics for political organizing. I don't think they're at all educated and aware of such communist, uh, uh, you know, great uh, political strategies like Gramsci or Georgi Dimitrov. So, uh, unfortunately, they have created some divisions here. And I know for certainty that some people have decided not to participate because of this kind of like including other issues uh, and not focusing on the question of the war and that the war is the most pressing issue right now. So I think they should benefit from reading a little bit of Dimitrov and a little bit of the tactics of the United yeah, let, let, let just let just add for our Western audience that Georgi Dimitrov is the first leader of was the first leader of socialist Bulgaria in the 40s uh, okay uh, Arto the last 90 seconds of the program they go to you uh, so uh, you have the opportunity to, yeah. to to kind of utter some closing remarks I think in conclusion I think the widening scope and numbers of the protests against the war and in defense of Bulgarian sovereignty national sovereignty, are the best way, I think, today to fight and to prevent the sliding of Bulgaria into this... Uh, Probably the only imperialist, way. The only way. So massive, peaceful uh, protests which show to the ruling uh, elites that have usurped power that the majority of the Bulgarian people are against those policies. I think that's the best way to stop such uh, suicidal uh, uh, and horrible politics from actually being successful. Right. And let's hope that we're really not going to, you know, end uh, the Bulgarian statehood by all, you know, through the actions of this, this in, insane actions of this government. And they, they, they only just begun. You know, this is this is the most dangerous part of the whole thing. OK, thank you very much, Arto. Thank you very much, Bojin, for uh, taking time to participate in our program. And thank you for your comments and insights to our viewers and listeners. Thank you very much for being with us. And if you find our work valuable, uh, don't forget that you can uh, support us by going to our Patreon profile uh, and uh, or by purchasing, for example, a paid subscription via Substack. Uh, on, uh, we're also available there. Thank you very much and see you in the next segment. Thank you.